So it's really good to see you all. I want to thank you all for being a part of our, our group tonight, uh, a part of our Friday night devotional. Um, we are studying Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, this will be our one, two, three, four, about fourth lesson on Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, we did a preliminary class where we talked about why we study. Um, so I'm going to put you guys on the spot, some of you who are, who are here Tuesday night and have it fresh on your mind. What are some of the reasons why we want to see Jesus in the Old Testament? Anybody remember any of them? Yes, sir. The Okay, they all point to Christ. They all point to uh, the Old Testament, even though it's before Jesus was born and physically walked the earth uh, in, in a human body. Uh, it, it does point us to Jesus, and all of the scriptures point us to Him. Okay, so I think um, the, the way that we put that was that um, Jesus um, is God and has revealed Himself to us through uh, His declarations of His promises, His word. And so all through the Old Testament, there's promises of the coming one that's going to come and save. And so that's one of the reasons why. Anybody else remember any, any other reason? Y'all got the cheat sheet in your hand, so somebody can stay. Uh, yeah. Good. On the road to Emmaus. Good. Yep. Uh, so in, when Jesus rose from the dead, he approached some of his disciples and began to teach them. And it said, and then beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he began to teach them all the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And so remember, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus rose from the dead, and when Jesus um, discipled his disciples for the next 40 or 50 days before he ascended back up into heaven, um, there was not a Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians to read from because those books were about 30 to 60 years from being written. So none of that was, it wasn't around. So in order to teach people about the gospel and to teach them about Jesus and to teach them about his resurrection, uh, Jesus went to the Old Testament and he, those are the scriptures that he used to preach the gospel. Remember, the Apostle Paul, everywhere that the Apostle Paul went, he would go into the local synagogue and meet with the Jews and the God-fearers, that would be the Gentile people who were uh, seeking God, and he would all go, he would always go in and reason with them through the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul would go and take the Old Testament and go to a Jewish synagogue and he would go in there and show them that, hey, Jesus is the Messiah because he fulfilled all of these Old Testament writings. So, um, yes, one of the reasons is, is because all of Scripture points to Jesus. One of the reasons is because this is the very method that Jesus used to teach his disciples. Right? And that's a pretty good uh, person to follow, right? So, and... Uh, and then one of the last things to remember is as we study Jesus in the Old Testament, all Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is theocentric and Christocentric, right? What does that mean, theo, meaning what? God, God-centered, and then uh, Christocentric would be Christ-centered. It's all centered about God and His work. And uh, so tonight, uh, well, we, we also have talked about in the past, we talked about different ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, one of the ways that we'll see him tonight is the first one. It says genealogies. What is a genealogy? Uh, a long born list of so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so. But remember, all of those so-and-sos are people, right? One day you're going to meet them up in heaven and you're going to be like, hey man, did you read my name in the list? And they're like, no, I skipped over it. I couldn't pronounce it. Right? <laughs> we don't want to do that. We, uh, all of these people are important. And so t- tonight we're going to see that. We're going to see some of the names that are listed in Jesus' genealogy in the Old Testament. Um, prophecies, foretellings of the coming one, all right? Um, and uh, examples of that being Isaiah 53, uh, that he was the suffering servant. Uh, by his stripes we are healed, right? Uh, he, uh, he suffered and died for the many. Um, Psalms 22 begins, the, Psalm 22 begins with, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? And remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he screamed that from the cross, and the people around the cross thought he was calling out to Elijah to come help him, right? But he wasn't calling Elijah, he was quoting Psalm 22. He had grown up all of his life in the temple singing those songs. That's one of the coolest things that I could ever think is that Jesus grew up singing Psalm 23. 
Now remember, all of these psalms are songs. They were intended to be sung. And so Jesus, as a young boy, would go to the temple and he would sing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. Now I can't sing it in Hebrew because I don't speak Hebrew or Aramaic. But he would go and sing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He would sing that song. And then a couple days before he was going to die on the cross, he stared at a group of men that were intending to kill him. And you know what he told them? I am the good shepherd. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And so what was he saying? He was saying, hey, Psalm 23, my great-granddad David wrote that, but he was writing it about me. I'm the good shepherd. You see? And so all of Psalm 23, when you read it, um, when we think of Psalm 23, one of the things that we always think of, of all of the benefits we get from God because the Lord is our shepherd, right? And, And that's good. We should do that. But the real focus is who? The shepherd, not the sheep. It's about Him and all of the things that He does to provide for us. And so uh, we see Him in uh, types and shadows, priests and prophets and kings, and and, uh, we see Him in themes, uh, repetitive echoes of who He is, light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness. And uh, tonight we're going to see him in types and shadows. Remember when we talked about types and shadows, we said it was like a blueprint. You look at a blueprint, a blueprint is a plan of a building. And this building, when it was built, it had plans. It had a blueprint for it. And you can look at the blueprint and you can appreciate the fact that this is telling you how to build the house. But until the house is built, until you can come in out of the rain, you can't really appreciate the house, can you? Right? And so the Old Testament kind of gives us a blueprint of who Jesus is. And we'll see that tonight in in one of our uh, types and shadows. And then uh, finally, we see him in theophanies. What do we say? Does anybody remember what a theophany is? Theo is what? God. And phaneru or phanos is is, uh, appearance. Good. A phantom appearance. Like the phantom. That's where you get that word from. It's an appearance. So, theo... Theophany, or theophany, is an appearance of God. Now, remember, no one has seen God and lived, right? That's what the Bible said, no one has seen God and lived. But we do know that there are times when God would appear before people in the Old Testament. We talked about one last week with Joshua, right? And the angel of the Lord, remember? Joshua fell down at the feet of the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord received his worship. Like... uh, 90% 90% of the time in the Bible when somebody sees an angel and they fall down in front of the angel, the angel always said, get up. You don't worship me. I'm a creature just like you. But this time, Joshua fell at the feet of the angel of the Lord. Remember Joshua asked him, he said, whose side are you on? And he said, I ain't on nobody's side. I'm on God's side. And he said, uh, and he fell down before his feet, but the angel received his worship. What that means is this angel was not a creature he was actually the creator in a pre-incarnate form. So a theophany, and that would be ways we see him. So, um, again, we're doing Jesus in the Old Testament, and we last week we did Jesus in the fall. I want to uh, just make sure everybody was listening. Can somebody give me one of the ways that we saw Jesus in the fall of Adam and Eve? Anybody remember any of the ways that we saw him in the fall? Good. Uh, God, they were naked, and God clothed them with animal skins, right? And animals don't just come over and say, hey, take a little off the side, right? They don't do that. The only way to get animal skin, if you're wearing leather shoes, and here's some poor cow somewhere had to, had to give up his skin, right? So that you could have shoes. Now, don't feel bad because most of y'all had hamburgers tonight for supper, right? So we eat cows. That's part of the life cycle. Something dies so that we can live. But the reality was Adam and Eve were naked and then God killed the animal and through the sacrifice of that animal, they were provided the clothing that they needed to survive. Right? And it immediately makes me want to go to 2 Corinthians where it said, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of God. Remember? So as Jesus died on that cross, when He died on that cross, He... he uh, identified with our sin and the Father took the punishment that you and I deserve for what we had done and placed it on the Lamb. What's the Lamb? An animal. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so by Jesus dying on that cross, He took the wrath of the Father 
He buried it. They buried it in the grave. And to prove that the Father accepted the sacrifice, what did Jesus do? He rose from the dead. And now I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the skin of the Son of God. Right? He clothed me in His righteousness. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so He died and through His sacrifice, not only are my sins paid for, but I am clothed in what? His righteousness. See, there's not a single man or woman in this room that is going to get to heaven on something you've done. What's going to get you to heaven is what Jesus did on the cross. And what He gave you through that death. It's His work that gets you to heaven. So He clothes us in His righteousness. And so this very day, as messed up and, and, and wicked-minded as I am as a man, there's a, my Father is still in heaven looking down on me, and because I'm clothed in His Son, He doesn't see my fault. He sees His Son. Right? And so it's a beautiful thing to think about. So yes, that was one of the ways. Did anybody remember another way? Yes. One word. Good. Genesis 3.15 is known as the first mention of the gospel. What is the gospel? Good news, right? The word gospel means good news. So it said, he told the woman, he told the serpent, he said, one day that woman is going to have a baby. The one day the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. So in common English, he was saying, one day that woman is going to have a baby that's going to get you serpent you tricked her and caused her to fall but one day through the pain and suffering and childbearing she's going to have a baby that's going to get you right and it was a special kind of baby wasn't it it was a baby born from the seed of a woman and what's the difference in someone born of the seed of a woman and the rest of the world we're all born of the seed of men right and therefore what do we hear there what was so special about Jesus' birth He's Son of God. 100% God, 100% man. But what was so special about the conception? Virgin birth. It was a woman's seed. No man's seed involved. Right? And so when you look at Genesis 3.15, you realize, hey, you know what? Uh, I, uh, we were talking about this the other night. Uh, God knew that Adam and Eve was going to eat that fruit and screw it up. Like he, like he wasn't in heaven pulling his hair going, oh no, what am I going to do now? The plan was already in place. And that plan was Jesus. All right? So yes, that's where we saw him. So tonight, we got a few minutes. Let's turn over. We're going to look at Jesus in the flood. Jesus in the flood. Alright, and so we'll look in chapter 6 of Genesis. Chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Now it came about... Well, we're going to skip down past... We're going to, not going to talk about uh, the sons of God and the daughters of men. I'll leave that for another class and for somebody else to teach you. Um, in verse 5 the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart the Lord said I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land from man to animal to creeping thing and to the birds of the sky for I am sorry that I have made him verse 8 but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord alright so does that say that Moses is uh, more favorable than all other people in the world does it say Moses is, is more righteous than everybody else no because it says in verse Five, the Lord saw the wickedness of who? Mankind, all the men. So is he talking about Noah too? Yeah. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every man is a sinner. Right? Because we're born of Adam's seed, we are born sinners. And it says that God saw the wickedness and he was sorry that he had made man. And remember now, this is this is anthro. Pomorphic language. God does not sit up in heaven and cry and get sad and go, Oh, I sure wish I wouldn't have made man. The scriptures are in such a way that you and I can understand it so he can relate to us. Remember, Jesus what? Wept, right? 
And when Jesus was a man, he did weep. He was very sad at the cross. But one of the things that we need to remember as we read this story is that God is immutable. He doesn't change. And he doesn't get caught by surprise. And there's nothing that happens that he doesn't know about. And there's nothing that happens beyond his control. Now, remember, God is not the author of sin. God is not the one that makes you do the bad things that you do. But God does allow you to do them. Okay? God is not the author of sin. God does not make people evil. Man makes man evil. But God does allow evil. And what's so amazing about that is that God can take the evil of men and turn it around and use it for good. Every one of you in this room have a broken past. And if you trust Him and you walk with Him and you follow Him and you live according to His will for your life, then what's going to happen is He's going to take all of that brokenness and turn around and bring a lot of healing out of it. It'll happen. It will happen. And uh, so God is capable of taking our brokenness, our evil, our sin, our not mistakes, because we don't make mistakes. We make willful choices, but God can take those willful choices and turn them around for good. All right? And we need to always remember that. But God does not change. Men change. We change every few seconds we change. But God never changes. And so <clears throat> we'll, we'll talk about that a little more. I want to look at verse 8 really quick because that's so, so important. Yeah, I'm looking at it. That's what I'm Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's great. It's it's okay. Grace is God's favor. All right. So what that's saying is, is that God looked down on the earth, and out of the millions of people that are living on the earth, He chose Noah out of all of those people, and said, "You have my grace." Now, does God the Creator have the right to do that? Yes. Is He obliged to offer everybody the same grace? Yes. No. Nope. He's God. Remember, we, we talked about this the other night. He, ra- it's a, he told Pharaoh through Moses that he had raised him up so that he could show the world how powerful God is and how weak man is. He told Pharaoh, that's the reason I even raised you up to put you on the throne. Right? And we also need to remember in Romans 10, it says it in Romans 10 or 9, it says it this way. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy, and I will harden who I will harden. And God has the right to do that. We need to remember that. That's very important. Because every one of us in this room, if you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, if you're in this room tonight and you have been given a new heart you have been given his spirit and you know in your mind and your heart you know without a doubt that you are his child then the same thing could be said about you you found favor in God's eyes and I can promise you this there was nothing about you that was favorable see see I have favorites I, I like I have a favorite meal I like a steak and a potato and a salad and a big glass of sweet tea and then the vanilla ice cream and a chocolate brownie with fudge for dessert. Mm-hmm. Right? That's my favorite meal. If I had to choose a meal, I would. that's what I would eat. All right? Um, now, I love pizza and I love seafood and I love all kind of other stuff, but I do have favorites. There are foods that I prefer other, over other foods. The reality is the scripture says about those who God favors is that He knew you before the foundation of the world. Before before you were even in your mother's womb, He knew you. That is so super important to remember because how many people does God know? Everybody. But in a in a favorable way, in a great with grace, God knows His own. And He knows them in an intimate way. We talked about this during the fall. Remember Adam knew his wife and they conceived and bore a son? And y'all remember I told y'all yada. That's a Hebrew word for 
No. So any of you Jersey guys, there's not a whole lot of Jersey folks left in here, is there? It used to all be Jersey and Philly, but they all gone now. It's all Southern. But if you go up north, you'll hear people say this all the time, yada, yada, yada. You're talking to it, yada, yada, yada. They don't even know what it means, but they just use it because it's just colloquial language, you see? But what it means is, I know, I know, I know. But the knowledge, that yada knowledge is a intimate knowledge. In other words, Adam knew his wife. And I can know your wife, but I better not know her like Adam knew Eve. You see, that's called adultery. If I know your wife the way that Adam knew Eve, that's committing adultery. But between the shepherd and his sheep, between God and his chosen ones, there's an intimate knowledge. And what that means is, is even when you were living dead in your trespasses and sin, walking according to the course of this world, walking with the spirit of the prince of power to air, walking with the sons of disobedience, when you were doing all of that, God still loved you and reached down and said, no, I love you too much to let you keep living like that. And he pulled you out of the muck and the mire and set your feet on the rock. You have his favor. And we should never take advantage of that. And what we're going to see is, yes, Noah had God's favor, but God told Noah to do things, and not only did Noah have God's favor, but God had Noah's what? Obedience. See, there's two sides of the coin in there. We trust, but we must also obey. If I'm his child and I'm not obeying him, the Lord, who the Lord loves, he will what? Chastise. He'll discipline, you see? So there is, even though we have his favor, that does not mean we're not accountable to being obedient to his will. Well, Noah found favor in God's eyes, and God had, God had already planned to blot out the whole world, literally just to wipe it out. But Noah found favor in his eyes. Now, um, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right, remember we're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. Where would we find uh, Jesus in verse 10? Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. No. Mm. Family tree. Shem, the Shemites, right? All right, so keep your finger there. Let's go over to Luke chapter 4 and see if we can find that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter. It's Luke 4. Let me make sure I'm telling you right before I get there and lie to you. <clears throat> no, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And we'll start at verse 35 just for some context. The son of Sireg, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Heber, the son of Shelah, the son of Kainan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Methaleel, the son of Kainan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. All right, so we have Jesus' family tree right there, and now we know that Noah and Shem are a part of Jesus' family tree. It's pretty cool to think about, isn't it? Huh? The Son of God. It, goes, it all goes back to Jesus. It all points right back. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Right? It goes all the way back to that. That's where his family tree goes to. That's where it's rooted in eternity, right? Okay, so um, back to Genesis now. The earth, verse 11, uh, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt. All flesh was corrupted their way upon the earth. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence because of it. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. And you shall make the ark with rooms, and will cover it inside out with pitch. This is how you will make it. And then he goes into describing the ark. Um, you will make a window. You'll finish from the top. I'm bringing a flood of water, verse 17, upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. All right, what about the sharks and uh, uh, fish? 
Did they die in the flood? No. No. No, they had the whole world to themselves at that time, didn't they? Right? Remember, it's all things that had uh, breath. So I'm sure that the... I, I would guess it. I would assume that the the porpoises and the dolphins made it too, right? They're mammals. Unless they're covered with I don't know, but we do know that all the mammals, all the snakes, and the creepy crawly things all died, right? So all of the stuff that had to go in the ark needed preserving, and I don't think he put any dolphins or or stingrays or or you know starfish or any of those kind of things in the boat. I, I wouldn't think so. All right, what about ducks? Yeah, had to be some ducks in there. Because they can fly around and they swim, they love water, but they they got to eat, right? And, uh, so, anyhow, there's things to think about. Um, and have you have you ever thought about, like, it's one of the things I always think about after the flood when they get off, knowing them, how did they eat it? They couldn't eat any animals for a while, could they? Uh, you know? I mean, you got a cow, a cow and a. Um, don't have unicorns. Yeah, you think they ate the unicorn? No, they ate the unicorn. Uh, you heard it here first. I was Savannah Bible Mission. That's not true. But but it, but it, if you read if you read the account of it, we're not going to get into detail in the account tonight. But you'll read that he brought a bunch of animals for sacrifices. I, he actually brought extra animals on, so it wasn't just two bull a bull and a one bull and one cow. It was he brought several animals on the boat and. Uh, he said seven of some of the clean animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can get in there and read that on your own. All right, so one of the things that I want to talk about first is, or, or now is, remember we said that God does not change. God does not change. Now, how many of you have ever heard someone say that the God there's a God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament? Like the God of the Old Testament flooded the earth and destroyed it. And the God of the New Testament just loves people. Have y'all have y'all ever heard that? Okay. Is there anything wrong with saying that? Yeah. Because if he doesn't change, see, God is love. It actually says that in First John, doesn't it? There you go. First John four eight says God is love. So does that ever change? So when God was pouring the rain out on the earth and flooding it, was He expressing His love? Yeah, he was. So God is always loving. But not only is God love, but God is holy, holy, holy. Right? The Bible never says God is love, love, love. But the God does say He's holy, holy, holy. What does that mean? He's other than us. He's beyond us. But God is not only love, but God is just. What does that mean? What does it mean to say God is just? He's fair. Okay. I, I would that's that's a good word. Just fair, yep. Say he's forgiven, but he won't be taken advantage of either. Well, he expresses his love through his forgiveness. And he expresses his justice through his wrath. Yeah. But his justice is an expression of his love too, isn't it? Right? Who the Lord loves, He what? Chastises. He disciplines. So that's both an expression of His love and an expression of His wrath. So we try to put God into these little definitions and boxes, and the problem is He's holy, holy, holy. We can't fit Him into what we understand. And you could say, well, that's not fair. But if you say that about God, and we've all said that at times, well, that's not really fair, God. Like, why would you do that? If I say that that's not fair, God, what am I accusing God of? What? Being unjust. So, you'll hear people say this. You ready? If God is love, then why does He send people to hell? All right, okay, hold up now. God sends people to hell. Depart from me, I never knew you. But you'll hear people say that. If God is love, why does he send people to hell? 
Next time somebody asks you that, ask them this. If God is so just, why does he let anybody get by? Like, yes, God is love, but he's also just. And if he's just, who deserves heaven? Nobody. See, we don't ever think about it from that side because we're never on the just side. We're always on the guilty side. And we're always on the defensive. You see? And it's hard for us to see it. But, if I have been justified, what does that mean? I've been declared righteous. And why have I been declared righteous? Because I gave my heart to Jesus? Nope. Jesus gave you a new heart. You didn't give Jesus. You didn't give your heart to Jesus. Jesus gave you a new heart. Then once you got a new heart, then you could give that heart to Jesus. But the old heart you had before He regenerated, you didn't want anything to do with Jesus. I can promise you that. All right. So He saved me and He justified me. What does that mean? He found me declared as uh, as guilty as not guilty. Why? Because his son took the guilt on the cross. And he clothed me in that sacrifice with his righteousness. Right? Now, did I find favor in his eyes before Jesus died on the cross? Yeah. Before the the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The plan was already in place. What that means, he cared about you all along. And so, once I had been justified... Then I stop making it about me and I start making it about him and I start realizing, you know what? I don't deserve this. I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. Because he's a holy God and he abhors sin. And yet he loved me enough that I found favor in his eyes. And it wasn't because I was a cute little kid. Because he's a gracious and a merciful, merciful God. Yes, ma'am. I was just thinking of a scripture being asked if God has the right to give grace to whom he pleases. Um, it reminds me of that scripture where sin abounds, grace does more abound. Good. Where sin abounds, grace that much more abounds. That's very true. So you can't out sin God's grace. But if you understand his grace, you won't want to. Want to. So, oh, anyhow, so, so the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because there are a lot of people who say, you know, this is the Old Testament God. Look what he's doing. He's destroying the whole earth. But the reality is, Noah and Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives, they all deserve to be drowned too. But they found favor in God's eyes. God called out to Noah, Adam, where are you? I mean, Noah, right? It's the same thing. It's the same theme over and over again. God reaches out to a lost man and says, Hey, where are you? And what did Noah say? Here I am. And he said, Alright, I'm fixing to destroy the earth. And I want you to trust and obey. obey and build the ark according to my words. And did Noah do it? Yep, he did it. Alright, now... Verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, all the living of the flesh, all the birds, the creepy things, um, the herpetons, that's, that's the snakes and the turtles, they all went in there too. And, and uh, the creepy things and the bears and the lions and tigers, oh my. All the animals went in and, and uh, it says, take for yourself some food which is edible and gather to yourself, it will be for your food. And Noah Verse 22, very important. What does it say? Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. All right. Now, was Noah saved because of his obedience? No. I'm just throwing that out for you to think about. Noah was saved because he found favor in God's eyes. Faith without works is dead. All right, now let me clarify what James was saying there when, when he said that. It's very important to hear this, okay? Paul says we are saved by faith alone and not through works, lest any man should boast. James said that we show me your faith 
Show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my what works, right? Okay, so Paul and James are not disagreeing with one another. Paul is saying the only way that you are saved is by faith and believing in God. And it's not your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. Right? So there may be somebody in this room in here today who's thinking, well, I really have a hard time believing sometimes. It's not how good you believe is who, how good the one you believe in is. Your faith does not save you it's the object of your faith that saves you. Let me, let me give you a life example. I can go stand on the top of a 10-story building and believe with all of my heart that I can fly. And I can promise you that 100 out of 100 times when I step off that building, I will die. I will go splat. You know why? Because gravity is a law of God and God's laws don't change. And if I step off of it, no matter how much I believe, if I step off, I'm going to go. You see? Because my faith was in something that's not true. Now, if I believe that gravity works every time and I get near the edge of that precipice, what am I going to do? I'm going to back away from it, you see? My faith is in something that's real and that faith saves me. See? Right? Well, it's the same way with God. It's not my faith that saves me. It's God that saves me. But if God saves me, I have faith. And if I have true faith, then the actions are going to follow. They're going to come natural. And so what James was saying is, it's not your works that save you, but if you have saving faith, you will have works. A living faith is a faith that works. Does that make sense to everybody? So nothing that you do saves you. But if you are saved, you will do. And what will you do? Look at verse 22. Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Alright? How can you do that today? Do all that God commands you to do. Yeah. Well, well, how do you know that? How do you know that that's so important? How do you know it's the greatest commandment? Because Jesus said it. That's right. It's His Word. So how can I do all that God commanded me to do? Read His Word, receive His Word, believe His Word, and walk in that Word. Not my feelings. My feelings don't save me. It's God's promise that saves me. And if I have His promise, I'm going to want to walk in that promise. Okay? So it's very important to see Noah found favor in God's eyes. And then Noah did according to what God told him to do. Uh, They entered. So so, so we're going to kind of wrap things up here tonight. Um, They went in two by two. Verse 17. The flood came on the earth for 40 days. The water increased and lifted up the ark. The waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. Um... Let's see, verse eight, uh, chapter 8, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the cattle that were in the ark, and God caused the wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. All right, so what's happened? God has declared that he was going to judge the world and that he was going to bring condemnation on all things that had breath. <clears throat> it's so funny. I used to work... I had the privilege of working with kids for like eight years. And kids can ask you some of the greatest questions in the world. Like, I, it, was a, a, it was an 11-year-old kid that asked me, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? I think that is the, one of the most fantastic questions that anybody could ever ask. Because I would have never thought about that. But the reality is, Cain is the first one that had a belly button. So when we get to heaven and we meet Adam and Eve, they're not going to have a belly button like ours. Oh, wow. Right? Because they were falling out of the air. So, anyhow, but Jesus will have a belly button. Isn't that cool? Huh? You said he don't or does? Well, he was born of a virgin, wasn't he? He had an umbilical cord, I promise. So, that's really cool. This is slow. But kids are wonderful. They they observe things that, uh, and so, um, I'm about to get off point here. Let me think what the, the question, the question was about, 
um, Cain and Abel. Where were we at, y'all? Help me out. What were we just talking about before Chapter I talked? The belly button. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. Uh, I done lost my train of thought now. He wiped out. Yeah, and there was something about... Yeah. All right. So, anyhow, if it comes back to me, I'll remember it later. It's gone. I lost it in the belly button thought. But, but but anyhow, what have we seen? Okay, I think I'm about to get it back. Let's see. We see that the decision that Adam and Eve made not only brought. Oh, I remember what was that? There we go. Now I got it. I had a kid ask me this. Do you remember when God sacrificed the animal and clothed Adam and Eve? I had a kid ask me one day this. I never would have thought about it. You know what she asked me? Was Adam sad when the animal died? What do you think the question and answer is? Yes. Because what did God do? He put Adam in charge of all of the animals. He had dominion over them and he was supposed to take care of them. And his sin is what caused that animal to die. And for the next 900 years of his life, he had to live with the repercussions of the decision he's made. And I, I, let, let me give you a sobering thought. Sobering thoughts are good for us, right? Here's your sobering thought. God has forgiven you for everything. It's under the blood. But you are going to live the rest of your life with some of the decisions that you have made. And they're going to hurt. And you're going to have sorrow about them. There are things that we have done to other people that will never, ever be repaired this side of eternity. And it will grieve you. And that's what we're seeing here. The pain and the suffering caused by sin is real. And God does not take sin lightly. And we can see in this story why it is so important for us to understand that God is a just God. He's not some just squishy, huggy little teddy bear to make you feel better. He so loved you that He sent His Son and had Him go through the hell that you deserve so that you could have a heaven you could never earn. And because of what He's done for you, He expects your obedience. He commands your obedience. And I would be a pompous and arrogant, I won't even use the word, if I were to stand up here and tell you that I live every day of my life for Him. Every moment for Him. Because I don't. I'm still a selfish man, fallen and broken man. But I have found God's favor. Better yet, God's favor found me. And I'm crucified with Christ, and I'm no longer the old man that I used to be. And I'm a new creation, right? Y'all sing that song still, Joan? Y'all still sing that song? Yeah. Yeah, good. All right, so why am I bringing all of that up? Because... When you hear people telling you that the Old Testament God is not God, they are bypassing one of the most sobering and convicting realities that you need in your life. You need to be told that truth. And there are people out there in this world that we live in today in modern evangelical Christianity that are prancing around and dancing an open rebellion to God and His Word, and they think it's okay. And if you try to tell them what they're doing, they're going to tell you that you are hateful. And that my God would never do that. And when you hear somebody saying that, my God would never do that, most of the time it's my God would never convict me for what I'm doing wrong. Don't get in that camp, guys. God is a holy, holy, holy God. He is a loving God. 
And he is merciful and he is gracious. But God abhors sin. And it took his son coming and dying so that we could be forgiven. But so in all of this story, we see a repetitive theme, don't we? We see God gives commands and man is either obedient and turns to those commands and yields to God's will or man continues to rebel against that will. And when man continues to rebel, what does God do? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin and death. I just had a dear friend of mine the other night. I used to live, we, I used to live party life with it. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but the drummer for the Foo Fighters died last week. Oh, Taylor Hawkins. Oh, yeah, he, he died from an overdose. And uh, I actually met the dude. Uh, I was working with the movies here in Savannah. He came to film a movie here in Savannah. I drove him around Savannah. Really nice guy. Like, super nice guy. Had the whole world in front of him. But anyhow, he died. But a friend of mine who was a drummer and one of his big fans, you know, he wrote on uh, his social media, Why God, Why? And I replied to him, because you can't live that kind of life and expect not to have repercussions from it. It's just that simple. And no one is above God's ju- no one is above God's righteousness and wrath. And what did it say? A fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. Didn't did Noah fear God? You better believe it. And he went and he got in that ark. Okay. So we got to wind the class down. But before we go, we have to see Jesus in this story. Can somebody tell me where we see Jesus? Washing away. <coughs> okay. The flood washes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the ark. Huh? Jesus is the ark. He's the ark. Very good. Expound on that for me. Jesus is the ark. You're, I mean, you nailed it on the head. Tell me. Explain it to me. What is the ark? In this story, what is the ark? It's a boat. And what does that boat do? Saves people. Who does it save? No. No. Who does it save? No. It, it saves himself. No. Who does the boat who does the ark save? It saves us. Huh? It saves us. Right. It saves the animals, good. Who else did it save? I'll say everybody. It wait a minute now. It said everything that had breath was gonna die. Did everything that had breath die? Yeah, but reproduced later. Huh? But it yeah, reproduced. Later, because he put them on two by two, and then after the flood, everything Yeah, but everything on the earth died. Okay, say that again. Anybody who was what? Favored or? That's true. They well, I don't know that the animals had faith. They just were kind of, huh? Yeah, try, they trust and obey. So here's the point. The point I'm trying to make is this: anyone who was in the ark was saved. All right. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what is what is are we responsible to do? Abide in him. Good. About me. And I'll, yep, good, very good. So, anyone who was in the ark was saved from God's what? Right. Wrath. Anyone who is in Christ, Christ is saved from God's right. wrath. You see how that works? Have you ever noticed? Turn with me really quickly. Uh, we got just two couple minutes left, and I, let me show you this. Here's a good little exercise for you to do. Y'all get some personal time to do devotionals, like in the scriptures? Y'all, y'all, do y'all get some of that? Okay. All right, so go to the book of Ephesians and let me show you something. Ephesians chapter 1. Y'all ready? Ephesians chapter 1. All right. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you see that? You want to have fun one day? Get your pen and go through Paul's epistles and find out how many times it says, In Christ, in Him. Watch. In Christ. Verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him. Before the foundation of the world, uh, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption. Um, Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed us on us in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus, right? Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sin, which He lavished on us in all wisdom. Uh, verse 9. Uh, he made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intentions, which He purposed in Him. Verse 10. In Him. Verse 13. In Him. Twice. In Him. And so Paul has this there's an underlying theme in all of Paul's epistles where it's about being in Christ. And the ark is a beautiful picture of what that means. Yep. Same thing. We'll get to that in a couple months. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But the ark is a beautiful picture of that. Anyone who was in the ark was saved from the flood. And it's that simple. He calls, we come. It's kind of funny how you say that. You know, the ark is is Jesus. Then you look at God was put in the ark, the ark of the covenant. They they had him in. His presence rested over the ark of God. It wasn't like he was a little genie inside of it. Like they didn't open it up and he'd like come popping out. But I know, I know, I know what you're saying. You're right. He, his presence rested on that ark. If, he would, if they didn't carry it right inside, the people would burn up. And yeah, because he's a holy God. And not only that, check this out. Um, what do you think that those two angels with their wings pointed in represent? What happened in the garden when Adam and Eve was kicked out? The, the, the angels there to guard guard, guard the presence of God's holy place. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So um, tonight we've seen Jesus in the ark. We've seen Jesus in the flood, and we've seen him in the Old Testament. He's just as much there as he is in Matthew and you know Matthew seven when he's doing the Sermon on the Mount. He's just as much teaching right there as he is in the New Testament. And it's so important for us to see that. But um, I would encourage you, if you ever get time, go through Paul's epistles and find out in Christ, in Jesus, in the Beloved, in, in, in. And you'll find it all through there. It's, I, it's, it's well over 150 times. It's a lot. So I want to thank you all for your time tonight. Let's close with a quick prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Um, your grace is amazing. And to just for us to just stop for a second and to realize how... Wretched men and women like us could find favor in your sight. You are a holy and a loving God who cares about us. And you showed us how much you cared about us through what your son went through on that cross so that we could know your forgiveness. I pray that every man and woman here does know you as Lord and Savior. I pray if there be someone here who doesn't, that you will continue to work in their heart and their life and show them your grace and mercy. Um, Help us to realize that you are a holy, holy, holy God. Yes, you are a God of love, but you are also a God of justice. And we thank you for all that you do for us, for your word, for your truth, for your grace, for your mercy, for companionship and fellowship with fellow believers, all that you give us, Lord, the food on our tables, the clothes on our back, the breath in our nose. You are a good and holy and righteous God, and we thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.